Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to get my footing in verses 35 through 38. And I'm going to get everybody to stand as we read the word of God. And I'm going to get you to read that with me from the ESV, the elect standard version. And <laughs> that's my Presbyterian humor. That's the last one. <laughs> Let's read together verse 35 through 38. One, two, ready, read. And Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his holy word. Please be seated in his presence. Title of my message today is Christ's Heart for the Harvest. Say that with me so I can keep you awake. I know y'all been shouting and y'all sweating. So I want to keep you, keep you with me. Christ's heart, heart for the harvest. Christ's heart for the harvest. See, this passage we're going to look at today is a, what, what I would call a hinge passage. It's a pivotal passage in the book of Matthew. See, so you would ask me, well, what's a hinge? A hinge is a swing point between two objects. A hinge holds together two objects. And the passage we're looking at today holds Jesus' ministry together with our ministry. As I said, this is a pivotal point in the book of Matthew. Up until now, it's been all about Jesus' ministry. Jesus has been traveling throughout Galilee, city to city, teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Not only that, he's been healing diseases and casting out demons, all types of diseases. And he, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and she had been healed and made whole herself. Jesus has calmed the storm. What a resume. The blind have received their sight. A young girl has been raised from the dead. The mute are speaking again. As the crowds watch this, they rightly say, in verse, nine, um, verse 33, Nothing like this has ever been seen in all of Israel. But something happens right afterwards. See, up until now, it's been about Jesus ministering in power. But a strange thing happens after the passage that we just read. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, look what it says. And he called to them his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. See, we're right at the moment when Jesus makes the switch from preaching and teaching and healing and all that, doing that himself, to commissioning his disciples to go out and preach and teach and heal. Jesus is about to commission his followers to do what he's doing. He preached. He's about to get them to preach. He's taught with authority. He's about to get them to teach with authority. He's driven out evil spirits and healed all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. He's about to get them to drive out evil spirits and heal all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. So what you have, what you have here is a before and after picture. And in between 
you have this section. So, see, what I think Jesus is pointing out in this passage, I I believe Jesus wants us to see the plight of humanity as he does. He wants us to see people as they really are. He, beyond the mask and the phoniness, he wants us to be moved in our heart just as he was. He wants us to be able to see the harvest through his eyes. So my first idea in in this passage is um, the plight and the process of the harvest. The plight and the process of the harvest. Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So Jesus is going city to city, preaching the the power of the kingdom. I call that his kingdom advancement plan. And let let me give you a little background. This was normally done on foot. There was no, they couldn't Google cheaptickets.com and get from city to city. And 12 horses were costly. They didn't have that. And they had to endure weather, hot and cold. And they, we don't have a passage where they clocked out because it was too hot to worship. We don't have a passage where they clocked out where it was too cold where they'll say they'll wait for the snow to stop. They had no security guards guarding them as they would travel the rough roads. Maybe Peter, but he cut off people's ears when he wasn't supposed to, and he ran when he should have stood. And no honorariums. They didn't get the envelope slipped to them, you know, like in the old church, slipped that little envelope to the preacher. Nah, they got kicked out of cities. After preaching the gospel. So they went throughout city to city and acting what? I said already the kingdom advancement agenda. How? In three ways. He says teaching, preaching, and healing. Three ways. Teaching, Teaching. preaching, Preaching. and healing. Teaching, teaching in the synagogue, unpacking and furthering the Torah to clearly explain the Old Testament's intention was to make clear one thing, that the Messiah is coming and Jesus was it. See, a church is a fulfilled synagogue. As we come to worship, we don't worship looking for Messiah to come. We believe he's come. We're waiting on his second coming so he can take us from this low land of sorrows to be with him forever. So when the Messiah would come, there would be this great hope. See, if you were Jewish and you were raised up, you, so much of your history was under oppression through disobedience of themselves and through the enemy's often allowance of God to come in and whoop them for that disobedience. And, but you longed for, you were taught that Mashiach would come. And when he would come, he would bring healing. Isaiah told them about that. He was going to bear our stripes and he was going to take a whooping so that we would be healed. So if you were Jewish, you would long for this Messiah, this anointed one that would come in with all power. And this is what theologians would call the eschatological hope. Don't worry about that. The end time hope, the longing for Messiah to show up when Shiloh comes, when he would land and bring peace honor, glory, forgiveness with him, and the government would be upon his shoulders. So when Jesus would go teaching in the synagogue, he was preaching himself, standing there with all power as the Messiah. Luke 24, 27 helps us with that, and it says, at the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, Christ in all the scriptures. So he was teaching, and he took some questions probably, but then the second thing he was doing was preaching. He ain't take no questions. 
He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, teaching with Holy Ghost boldness, authority and power, declaring non-negotiable truths that transform dead folk into living folk. See, we, we need some preachers nowadays, not just some cats pontificating on Puritan paperbacks. We, 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 we just don't need a bunch of book quotes. We need you to quote the Bible and tell us how the Lord is moving in your life. We need to hear about how you prayed for somebody who was hurting and they were healed. We also need you telling me about what What's the Name said on the podcast. I'm not mad at the podcast. I got one. But I'd rather hear about what the Holy Ghost is up to in your life. Stop talking about everybody and start talking about Jesus. Stop tweeting about everything and start tweeting about what Jesus is doing in you and how you're living out the gospel missionally in community to see the whole North Philly transformed by his grace. We need some preaching. See, sometimes preachers just want to harass folk with scriptures. But we need some folk to give some folks some hope. I don't know about you, but if I could hoop, I will. I don't know how to. But folk need some hope. They don't need you beating them up with the scriptures and telling them how God is after them. They need you to tell them how God is after them with the scriptures to get them. He's a pursuer of garbage trucks. He jumps in the garbage truck and puts himself in the way of that arm coming down to get you out of the garbage truck. He finds value in the garbage truck. He found you in the garbage truck. He put himself to be broken by the arm when the thing comes coming down to be crushed in all that poop and mess and trash to get you. You're like a penny with a hole in it. Ain't worth nothing, but Jesus holds you as a trophy of grace. We ought to preach. We need preachers. We got to preach the gospel with compassion and with conviction and with godly character and outpouring of what God is pouring into you, the gospel. That's why the black preachers say, preach, doc. He don't say talk. These jokers want to share. They need to sit down. I just got to talk. Well, go home. Because at Epiphany Churches, we preach, doc. We're going to die in the text. You're going to shoot me with my Bible in my hand. You ain't going to shoot me talking about some old mess. We're going to die in the text. And he went preaching, teaching. The third, idea, the third dynamic was healing. He went healing every disease, body infecting sickness, and every affliction, life disabling issue. Disease. This term, listen, sometimes our reformed blood makes us rule out people being actually healed. Our cessationist mumbo jumbo removes folk from being sick to being healed because Jesus did it. I will not spit on the power of God to say it was the HMO. I believe it was the Holy Ghost who can heal cancer. I believe it's the Holy Ghost that can raise Yvette Mason off her sick bed. I believe it's the Holy Ghost that got Tommy Forrester a transplant. I believe it's the Holy Ghost that got Miss Harriet through the operation. I believe it's the Holy Ghost who freshened up the womb of people that have babies that couldn't have babies. I believe it's the Holy Ghost that brings you through every pain, every torment, every torture, every hurt, every harm. It ain't no HMO. It's the gospel. It's the Holy Ghost. And you ought to give him a praise if he's shown up to your sick situation and brought his glory. 
You ought to give them praise right now. I'm not no cessationist, and I'm not willing to say, I believe the Holy Ghost does some healing. I don't know about you, but I'm in Camden, and Holy Ghost healing is good news. Because my city ain't nobody got no HMO. That's good news for folk with no health insurance. That's good news for folk that go to the free clinic and it costs you something. That's good news for folk who go to the emergency room as they health care and they spend seven hours for a gunshot wound and get Tylenol. He's a healer right now. He's still Jehovah Rapha. He has not dropped that title. He is the healer of every disease. And I love how he says every disease and every sickness, letting you know. See, I'm so sick of this. Pastor Doug, I'm sorry. In Camden, when I got there, I was Pastor Doug. Quickly, I became P.D. Much more quickly, I became P. Diddy. And then they parked on just Diddy. So, not Pastor Doug, that's not what they would say. They would say, Diddy, I can't come to that church because it'll burn up if I walk in it. Ain't seen that happen yet. Ain't seen that happen yet. I've done too much. Healing every disease and every affliction. There's nothing you've got that you can freak God out to make him put gloves on. He walks in and handles your dirty behind and he brings healing and he's not using antibacterial soap. He's using the blood of Jesus to heal you. He's good. I'm glad that he still heals. I'm glad that he's a healer. He's still doing open heart surgery on Aaron Johnson. He's a healer. And he's ready to heal you. He's better than an HMO. He doesn't need a referral. He's a healer. See, in Matthew 11, John the Baptist is about to get his head cut off. So John sends one of the disciples to Jesus and asks him, are you the Christ? Are you a bootleg? Or do we wait on another? Jesus said something simple. I, I like how Jesus didn't tweet. But he told the guy, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, healing, and the lame walk, healing. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, healing, and the dead are raised up, super healing. And the poor have the good news preached to them. So Jesus' ministry is marked by healing and the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. So I got good news from glory. If you're sick, Jesus can heal you. Not some of your diseases, but every one of them. He's able. So that was the plight in the process. And that clock is chasing me. Second idea is the pity of the harvest. So the plight in the process was city to town preaching teaching and healing. And now the pity of the harvest, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, they had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus looked intentionally and intensely as he looked at the crowds. What did he see? What lens did he look through? He saw through the lens of godly compassion. Compassion. This is a good word here. It, it's, it's like identifying with the person's pain so much so that you become in pain. And that pain doesn't cause you to curl up 
in the fetal position, but it causes you to move to a missional action. In other words, you can't look at the pain of Diamond Street and change the channel. Jesus doesn't change the channel. But he, it, it, it hurts him so much, he does something. Ian Blakelock says this in his, in his commentary of 1 Peter. It says, it bears the burden of others and seeks the cost of pain to share grief and distress. It's an outreaching love. However, compassion went beyond simply feeling of emotion. It was always demonstrated by a definitive act that testified to the covenant-keeping reality of God-saving power. So when Jesus looked at the lost people all around him, he saw them how they really were. He was able to look beyond the smoke screens of self-sufficiency, of self-righteousness, and of self-confidence. He saw the pain, the loneliness, and the misery they felt in their hearts, and it broke his heart. He didn't change the channel, though. He acted. He willingly and intentionally went to the cross. That's evidence he didn't change the channel. Jesus operated in what I like to call his incarnational instrumentality. Big word, not that big. He's an instrument. We're instrument in the Redeemer's hand. And we have to walk in that instrumentality. In other words, you can't abdicate your, your responsibility as believers to seek to save that which was lost or in participation in mission with God, you have to actually do it. So you don't walk by a lost person wilding out on the street and tweet, just walk by a lost person. That's not what you do. You don't take an Instagram of it and then get likes. My assistant, I live in Camden, so your story is going to say I'm lying. He's got a little Mini Cooper, and he's parked in the thing. Well, Thursday, somebody put some center blocks in the street near his house. All the neighbors said, yo, whose bricks are those? And they all said, I don't know, I don't know. Well, we found out whose they were because Friday morning, his Mini Cooper was on bricks. So the dude dropped them off and came back. Somebody took pictures of it, and the guy got likes on Instagram. That's just dumb. Like. How do you like that? No. We, stood, we stopped and we prayed that God would catch him and save him, and that the insurance wouldn't punk out and get him some new wheels. Practical ministry practical ministry. So you and I must walk in our incarnational instrumentality to engage the lost. You don't get off with giving out a track. You're the track. You're the living epistle, the Bible says. You don't get off with that. That's cheap. See, so when you think about living out your incarnational instrumentality, i.e. the cross. So Jesus, he, he looked, he had compassion, and he acted. So Doug Logan translation, he visualized, he agonized, and he evangelized. He saw what he saw, he saw it was broken, and he sought to make it whole. Question is, do lost people break your heart? Do they break your heart? Or are they just a part of your going through the motions of playing church? 
Are they only important at the outreach? Only at the outreach? Do they hurt you when you're eating dinner? Do they hurt you when, they on, when you're on vacation? It's got to hurt beyond that. That's owning the incarnational instrumentality. But I want you to know what moved Jesus here isn't the physical illnesses only that he encountered. Why? Because it tells me what he saw. He saw the crowds harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What moved Jesus and what should move every believer is in, in Christ is lost souls on their way to hell. This often doesn't move me as much as it should. But I pray for God's grace to remind me that we're on mission. Not to be us for no more bar the door, but to be after people with the gospel. So we need some folk that are after God's expansion plan and not after their own glory. And I love this helpless and harassed because it describes me so well. Their lives had no center. Their existence seemed aimless, wandering with no GPS. And their whole experience was one of uselessness, hopelessness, defenselessness. And they were ultimately vulnerable to Satan's attack. And all this pointed to their godlessness, our godlessness, that moved Christ to a missional action. They needed direction and leadership. And when he said shepherdless, I want to pause there and sidebar. Listen, don't tell me that your parachurch is your church. It ain't. You need a shepherd. You need a shepherd that bends his knees and is broken by God to pray and walk the floor at night for you. You need one that loves his wife and reads the scriptures and believes that God can do anything. You need a pastor that's got some character, that's got some good credit, and has got some love for you. And that one that walks in accountability in the plurality of elders that's willing to fight you even when you've lost your mind. One that's willing to be hated because you want to sin and we won't let you. You can hate me, but I'm going to stand before God. You need a pastor that's willing to put his life on the line to get your life off the line. That's the model of Jesus, the great shepherd. Shepherdless. He says they were harassed. And shepherdless, helpless, harassed, and shepherdless. Shepherdless is an isolated, bad-looking position. In the New Testament, there is no Christian that's not connected to the body of Christ. There is no Christian in the New Testament at all, ever existed, apart from the body of Christ. You ain't no free agent. Jesus didn't save you to you. He saved you to community that you would submit. So when you start walling out, we're going to put you in some discipline. We're going to take that communion from you, and we're going to be at your house, at your counselor, and at your mama house if we need to. Shepherds. Don't push away from shepherds. Don't say he in my business. We are called to be in your business. Called to be in your business. You are our business. And we don't do it perfect. We messed up too. But you don't get a license to wild out because we get it wrong. You better pray for me. You're commanded to love me. That ain't no suggestion. You better love me. Let's be mad. All this points to you needing someone outside yourself. Helpless, harassing, shepherdless. You need someone outside of yourself. To get into yourself, to give you a spiritual enema and flush out yourself. 
almost seen live when he said there was a champion in you. There ain't no champion in you. The champion of sin. Champion of sexual immorality. Champion of lying. Champion of attaching myself to hell with no way to do it. So you have to look beyond who you are. Recognize your brokenness and say, I need a God to show up. You don't need another book. You need a hero. You need somebody to come and rescue you from yourself. You're not escaping the devil. You're escaping the punishment you deserve. You need somebody to save you from the wrath of God. And it's God of wrath who saves you from his own wrath. That's the God we worship. That's the God we call on. That's the one we look to. That's the one we praise. That's why we take 20 minutes extra to worship. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we open this text. That's why we fight you. That's why we love you. We worship him because we know he's come outside. He did not have to, but he chose to by his grace. And I'm so happy about the fact that he's willing to come into filthy, stinking lives like ours. I'm so glad that he loves us beyond our mess. And he dives right in. And he doesn't use latex gloves, but he grabs us and embraces us. Doesn't wait for us to take a shower. And he loves us. He loves us. He pays full price for damaged goods. And he gives you the extended warranty all the way to eternity. I don't know about you, but I like a God who loves me beyond my mess. I don't know about you, but nobody wanted me. My own family didn't want me. Ain't no denomination wanted me. But God said, come on in. And me and my son will sup with you. We'll dwell with you. We're committed to dwelling with you despite your filthiness. And every time we cheat on him, he doesn't go to Facebook and change his status to single. He doesn't change his status to single. But he's with us. What a God. Harass. Maybe you've been harassed. Look to the God who's able to lock up your harasser for all eternity and bring you in to worship him with no sin. I want you to imagine worshiping God with no sin. We don't have to settle for the hem of his garment. We get his whole body. We get his whole heart. I long for that day. I long for that day. Take hope in this. As the helpless and harassed and shepherdless, our reform goofiness makes us worship total depravity. Don't do that. Because once you're saved, you're no longer totally depraved. But you are totally dependent on the independent God who works in concert with Father and Son perfectly to bring you in. There's a lot of work done to get you. They had to look past them. They had to deal with some stuff. They didn't look past nothing. They saw your resume. I'm in, I'm in the most jobless. We have the highest unemployment almost in the country in Camden. And they say there's too many things on their record. Places won't take them. God sees your whole record. Every jot and tittle. And the 28 font, bold. <laughs> on good paper. He sees your resume, and he doesn't freak out. 
he doesn't freak out. There's no champion in me. You know when I got a champion in me? At conversion. When the Holy Ghost showed up. And he's not just a resident, he's the president. Third idea. Forgive me for rambling. So he, we saw the plight in the process, city to city. We saw the pity of the harvest, that they were harassed and helpless without God. And now let's see the potential of the harvest. Stay in the text with me. He says, verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Look at the great potential. So in this imagery, now he moves from flocks to fields. The harvest is plentiful. He, he saw a ripe harvest ready to be reaped. The gathering of the people in the name of Christ, bringing people in for their God and for his glory. See, up until now, reaping of the harvest has been primarily the responsibility, absolutely the responsibility of Jesus himself. That's why I call this a hinge passage. See, just like a crop of wheat needs workers to bring it into the barn, so does a crew of helpless and harassed shepherdless people need to be brought in. In other words, people are ready to receive the good news of the kingdom. The harvest is plentiful. So let me ask you, do you believe that the harvest is plentiful? That's what I would pose. Do you believe that the harvest is plentiful? See, some preachers like the plentiful harvest because they can get what all they want, not souls. The harvest is plentiful all around us. Will you own the lostness of your block? The gospel calls us to ownership of the lostness. Pastor Doug, that sounds cute. What does that mean? That means do you attach yourself with the compassion of God to the people in this city that are completely lost, harassed, helpless, without shepherd and without God? Or are they an aftertaste, the parsley on the plate of your steak, whatever idol it is? Maybe you worship, maybe you worship worship music. Maybe you worship good preaching. Maybe you even worship the Bible, but you got to worship the God who causes us to worship. You got to worship the God of the Bible. You got to worship him and not get tied up with secondary causes. So if you own the lostness, you won't, part, you won't walk down 17th and complain about no parking. You'll, give, you'll see it as an opportunity to see Pookie and them and invite them to church. You won't see it as a hindrance that you had to park and got your car bumped, but you'll see it as an opportunity to share the gospel with that joker who hit your car that they might come to be saved by the power of the gospel. So you got to own it. You got to own it. Owning comes with praying. You got to pray. You, can't, you just can't pray at the, at the solemn assembly. You can't wait for Pastor E to put all the stuff you're supposed to pray about on the PowerPoint in January. The devil busy February, March. And you just can't pray when you're hurting. If you see the potential, some of you got ideas for businesses and you're thinking about and seeing stuff. See, Pastor E has that, 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 that weirdness about him. He used to take me and Pastor Larry because um, we were full-time, out to places, and he said, come on, let's go ride. We, we'd ride, and we'd get out. I'm from the hood, and I didn't like getting out where he pulled over. 
and we was walking in condemned buildings. He was saying, and I'm walking and making sure the floor ain't going to go. I'm looking for animals or homeless folk want to kill. And he said, see, right here, Pat, he said, right here, Pastor Doe, look, we're going to have the school right here. And then we're going to have this right here. And I'm looking at the rats, the old mattress, the drippy stuff. I don't even know what it is. But he could see it because he's owned the lostness and called the elders into owning the lostness of this city. And he imagines with Holy Ghost imagination that building turned into a school that would be a launch pad to launch churches in every zip code in Philadelphia. That's the vision because he's owning it. Will you own it or will you just tweet about it? Will you own it or will you just brag that you go to the hip hop church, which we ain't no hip hop church. hip-hop church. I wish. Yeah, there was beats on the cross. It wasn't no beats. It was mosquitoes and blood on the cross. Ain't no hip-hop church. This is a blood-covered church, covered by the blood of Jesus, powered by the power of Jesus, proclaiming the power of Jesus for the old. What's the point of this? Jesus. Why do we do this? Jesus. Why should you get up in the morning? Because Jesus permitted you. So every breath you take, if you're not doing it for Jesus, you're a thief. You're stealing breath. Hip-hop church. We a sweetly broken church that loves hard-to-love people because we're hard-to-love. It's hard to pass to us. White people ain't mad at you, but it's hard to pass to some black folk. Hard to pass to them too, but we, we a booger doc. I am. I'm speaking for myself. But if you see the potential of the harvest, you'll own the lostness and come hella high water. You won't pack up. See, sometimes you go to start a church. I know of a church that got started in the hood, and the person was moving their stuff in. And while they were moving their stuff in, they went and dropped the stuff off in the house, and they came back out, and their car was gone. They hadn't been there 15 minutes. You know what his wife said? She told us that God had called them to that city. The Lord was with them, and they thought it was going to be The Christian church ain't no Thomas Kincaid picture. It's not, there's no Norman Rockwell Baptist church. They don't make them. Stole their car within 15 minutes. You know what she said? We're moving. They didn't see the potential of the harvest. Because when you see the potential of the harvest, when you come out and your car is stolen, you know what you say? Lord, would you move into this place? Lord, would you move by your spirit? And I pray that that CD that's bumping some good gospel gets that joker saved and he comes back. And if not, God, would you cause my deductible to be paid so I can get me another car? Don't move out. Ask God to move on that region when you see the potential of the harvest. I got to keep moving. My, my fourth idea, he saw the potential... The harvest is plentiful, but he saw the problem. The laborers are few. 
he tells us that the harvest is ready. But Houston, there's a problem. The workers are few. The problem isn't that people are unready to receive the good news. The problem is that we lack folk that will tell it. The workers are few. I just want to imagine a farmer. His, his whole field is ripe all around him, but all the workers are AWOL, non-existent. Jesus looks around him and he sees people who are helpless and harassed, ready to hear the good news of the gospel. The problem is he needs and wants more people to tell about him. Let me make this plain. Transformed people transform cities. Saying missional a lot, that ain't going to transform cities. Saying gospel, 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 gospel. A turkey Christian, gospel, 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 gospel. Just keep saying gospel, people will get sick. No. The sticker on the back of your car, that little fish, that ain't nobody, not going to work. They'll steal that and return it to the Christian bookstore. It takes people who have been transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. It takes people who own the lostness of the block. It takes people to recognize that at one point they were helpless and harassed without hope and without God. And a God came in and brought them in. And then when we look upon a lost person, we say, doggone it, we want to help them because we know what it's like to be separated from God with no way to get to him unless he comes to us. We recognize that he stooped down and died so that I could get up and live. We recognize that he's done it and it's him who does it. So we have a problem. The mission field is ready, but there's not a lot of people that want to tell it. And so Jesus is stacking his team here. He wants more laborers for the harvest. He wants to stack the team. It's like the all-star game. If you put LeBron and Jordan all of them on the same team, they're going to win. It's like the Olympics. We just beat up on every country. That's what Jesus is doing with you. He's stacking the team, but not because of your funkiness, but because of the Holy Ghost that's in you and the ownership of the mission, prayer, and the commitment to see the city reach with the gospel. That's why we plant churches. That's why Watson Jones is an intern. That's why I was an intern. That's why I'm in Camden. That's why y'all do prayer walks. That's why we raise financial support. That's why we buy buildings. That's why we get playgrounds. We see a problem of unreached people who many consider unreachable. So we do that. You are not the hot commodity, Epiphany Church, in the missionary world. Folk don't want you. You 15 to 40 jokers, you're eclectic, Pastor E would call you. Most, most mainline churches would call you broke. Because you got bad credit. You don't tithe a lot, but you complain a lot. You're flighty because you don't have a house, you got an apartment, and you move every 19 months. You break up a lot with your girlfriend, so you leave the church to go find another girlfriend at another denomination. So he said he don't want, they don't want us. I'm not telling you, this is not me. This is what the mainline denominations would say. Forget y'all. We need people with marriage, mortgage, and money. 
That's that over 50 crew. That's who they want. They want some gray hair. Us four, no more, bar the door. I had pastors tell me I was a fool to go to Camden. Them folk ain't getting saved. Them folk ain't coming to Jesus. And I was walking out the door. I said, well, I'm good, bro. Holler. Grab my stuff. And he walked behind me and he says, you just chasing after the white man's theology anyway. That's what he said. Now, if I could choke somebody and not go to jail, <laughs> I would have, I just, I, I, Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm about to speak in tongues and get kicked out of the presbytery. But I say to you, nobody wants us. God has called you, though, from that 15 to 40. Go after that 15 to 40 because you are the best missionary, Roland Allen would tell us in his book, The Expansion of the Church. You know the reality of their plight and their hurt. You are the best missionary for this neighborhood. Go after them because there's a problem. The laborers are few. My last point, and it's going to be quick is the power of the harvest. Look what he says. The labors are few. Verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Wouldn't you respect Jesus right here to say, so get out there and tell them. All right, guys, the labors are few. Everybody run out with a track and hit the street. Give out some book bags. But that's not what he said. Looks what he says. He says, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Doug Logan translation, be still enough that he is God. Therefore, pray that he would send out workers into the harvest field. Why would Jesus tell us to pray instead of doing something? It's not like Jesus is against action in the very next chapter. Remember, he's going to instruct his 12 disciples and send them out to preach and teach and do the things that he's done. But he knows that before we have the ministry that he has, we must have the same prayerful reliance on the Father that he does. Before we have the compassion of Jesus, we must have the intimacy and the intimate connection with the Father that Jesus has. So we pray. So we are to pray, he says. Pray. Call on the God outside yourself earnestly. This word earnestly means it's like with such an urgency that you go in pain doing it that it stretches you. See, God is stretching us. And it's in pain that we do. And it also means to plead or to beg. To who? The chief harvester. Not just the owner of the field who sits back and watches, but the owner operator who is inextricably connected to the work. And he's not scared to get his hands dirty on dirty folk. You watch that show on TV, Dirty Jobs. See, that guy only does the job for a day. But Jesus has been doing dirty jobs with dirty people from before the foundation of the world. He's not scared to get his hands dirty. He's not worried about antibacterial soap. And he says to send out, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out. That word means to thrust out laborers, not, not pontificators on theology, laborers, not complainers about the air condition or the heater, laborers. Not people who hate the elders, but stay here and complain anyway. Laborers. Men divinely qualified and called to gather them in. 
into the harvest. It's God's harvest. Recognizing that only God can bring people in and only God can commission people out. Warren Worsby says this, when we pray as he commanded, we will see what he saw and feel what he felt and do what he did. God will multiply our lives as we share in the great harvest that is already ripe. It's one thing for us to go and do. It's another thing altogether for us to plead with God to raise up people, either through conversion or growth. So we need to pray that God would give them a spirit of work and he would give them wisdom and success. See, God shows up in amazing ways when we begin to pray like he commands us in this passion, in this passage. It's when we consider, and as I'm closing out here, it's when I consider when I was a lost sheep and that I came to know the great shepherd, the Arche Poyamin, the chief shepherd, the great bishop who laid down his life for the sheep that I begin to be motivated to pray. It's as I look at the cross and see the shepherd lay down his life for me so that I could become his sheep that I begin to shout out to God for more workers. It's in my brokenness that I find myself the most grateful that causes me to cry out. I simply say to you, cry out to God, but cry out to him from your gratefulness, not from your stinginess. From your gratefulness. Not from being spiritual brats that we often are. From our gratefulness, not from our entitlement. Cry out. And when I consider this, I really begin to pray. And when I start to believe that the harvest is plentiful and pray that he would send out workers, you never know if we may become the answers to our own prayers, that we would be the workers commissioned by the Lord of the harvest himself. So I got some questions, and I promise I'm sitting down. The stakes are high for both you and for North Philadelphia and for the world. Will you believe Jesus when he says the harvest is plentiful? Will you own the lostness? And pray earnestly. Will you own the losses of your neighborhood and its development? And will you pray, beginning today, that God would raise up people for this harvest? And would you walk in your raised upness? Walk this, walk out the gospel missionally in community in a hostile city for his glory. Those are the questions before you. Father, we are so inadequate to deal and handle all these things. In all my inadequacy of speech, God, would you um, use the brokenness of my language to challenge each one of us to live out our incarnational instrumentality, to live to see your name in the heart of every person. So God, we need you. We're desperate. Have your way. We thank you for six years. We thank you for these elders. We thank you that they have committed their lives, put it on the line, that people would know you in North Philadelphia, in Camden, New Jersey, and, and, and in the future as you would send out um, Brother Watson to wherever place you would want him. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.